Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that paved their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Welcome to the First Generations Podcast. Our guest today is the founder of ZWE Professional Coaching LLC and co-founder and president of a nonprofit communication and leadership foundation. She is a certified women's leadership coach, burnout expert, and wellness advocate for women and creator of the Resilient Leadership Program, a skill-building, proven system that empowers women using three core principles of powerful leadership, confidence, communication, and resilience. She has helped hundreds of high-achieving women leaders in a variety of fields, including finance, law, entrepreneurship, tech, education, and the arts to create more freedom, autonomy, and joy in their work and day-to-day lives. I'm proud to present you, Elizabeth Patterson. To get this episode started, you are a certified women's leadership coach. How did you get started with this profession? Well, I uh, am also the president um, and director of a nonprofit organization that focuses on giving scholarships to high school, some, some in the college in the field of, or in the area of college students, higher education, but mostly in middle school and high school in uh, the fields of communication and leadership, and mostly around speech and communication. And so we, um, I sort of was developing that foundation. I started on the, on the, and it was in its founding uh, stages. And the more I got into it, I got introduced to the world of coaching and, and how that relates to leadership. And so that's actually what led me in to decide to, to get certified as a coach. Was there like a moment in time that made you realize that coaching was 100% something you wanted to do? Or were you just adamant about coaching right from your childhood? You know, at the time, coaching in my area of the country was not that well known. I live in like the basketball capital of <laughs> the United States almost. So people think of coach in an athletic sense. Um, so it, the whole world of coaching was new to me. But the, the single thing I think that drew me to it in terms of a methodology was the the way that it empowers people from within because you don't have someone sitting in an advisory capacity telling you what to do or giving you set solutions. You can guide as a coach, but you know the answers come from the individual, which is research, research has shown, and certainly in my own personal experience and then working with people in a coaching capacity, that's where real change occurs and that's how cha- real change, sustainable change happens. So I really believe in the methodology in that sense. So that was kind of when I grasped that concept and saw it in action and proof of it, then I, I was, I was sold. Even from my perspective too, when you say, when people refer to coaching, again, it's coach coaching for sports, right? So this is such a, I guess it's a very, it's still considered a very new term in terms of a profession for those that are interested in becoming a coach. Cause I believe it's, since it's such a new profession, it's really hard to get things started. So what is a good way to start marketing and expanding your clientele? Well, I think that the way I was uh, suggested, it was suggested to me and what has worked for me and, and other people, I've, a lot of other people I've seen is just really starting out with your community and who you know and 
you know, making a list like with so many businesses, um, self people that are self-employed, make a list of a hundred people, you know, and you know more people than you think, you know, I found that out and people have connections that they didn't, you didn't know they had and, and experiences you didn't know they had. And so I think all that becomes really important when you're, when you're just starting out because you're really learning about, you know, the community you serve. And so it's a, it's a great form of research, I think. As you were pursuing coaching, did you receive hundred percent support from everybody in your community to forego with this career? Cause I could, I personally feel that if, if I told my parents, you know, I'm going to become a coach, I would feel a sense of resistance. I did very much. I think number one, the idea of starting your own business is, is frightening to a lot of people because they know the statistics of businesses. But I think that like anything, it requires, you know, if, if you're really passionate about it, if you're willing to give your all and willing to give your time and step out of your comfort zone, I think that those are kind of the main components. But I definitely experienced resistance with the concept of, the, of coaching because people didn't know what it was. And can you really make a living that way? And, you know, what do coaches really do? And in some circles, people regard it as sort of a fluff, you know, occupation or profession. Uh, you're not a therapist. You're not a consultant. But I think that really comes from, you know, just lack of knowledge about, about the profession. And, and really, I think anyone who's actually experienced having a coach, you know, would see it very differently. If anything else, it sounds like the key to continue on with this, if someone decides to pursue coaching, is to just be persistent. I think very much. And it, it attracts people who, I'm certainly one of them, who lo love to learn and love to read. And so just the whole, you know, we're con it's constantly evolving, which is something that's really appealing to me. You know, it's not static. And even though you may work with different people on different topics, it's different because everyone's an individual and, you know, they bring to it their unique circumstances, their unique mindset, their unique experiences. So, and you grow, right? Your clients, your clients teach you a lot. And so it's, that's, I think the part I like about it. It's very fulfilling helping people to get out of a bad situation or feeling stuck or feeling trapped and into a more, free space in whatever area of their life that's important for them. Yeah. You are also a burnout expert. So can you elaborate on the general term burn, burnout or burning out? Yeah. So burnout is an interesting term because so many people, well, it's used in a slang capacity a lot. You know, I'm burnt out on a restaurant or I'm burnt out on a sport or something like that, and really burnout in the context that I'm speaking about and I work with people is, is, is much more serious than that. And if left unchecked, rather, it just snowballs. And so I think it's really, but it's all the, I think dangerous thing about it is it's, it comes on oftentimes very gradually and most times very gradually and it's silent and, yeah. and there's a sense of what's wrong with me for a lot of people. And so they don't really talk about it and they don't seek help. And if you're not really familiar with the symptoms, you really don't know what's going on at first. And so I think that's the thing for me that has drawn me to it in this context that we mean, well, it was actually recognized by the world health organization in 2019 as a 
it's not a disorder per se, but they call it a phenomenon. Burnout is a phenomenon. And it's known now as an epidemic across the United States and several other countries. But it's a special type of work-related stress. So it's, it is your, you know, your typical physical exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, but it also typically comes with it this counterintuitive uh, phenomenon, which is people, and they're usually very highly accomplished, you know, they're burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, and, um, and they've accomplished a lot, and they're very successful, but they become so exhausted on so many levels that they begin to feel like they're really not accomplishing anything. They sort of feel like they're not, they start to feel like they're not competent, and ultimately it causes like a real sense of disillusionment with their work and then with their lives. It creeps into, you know, it's not just, it may start at work, but it, it doesn't stay there, right? It, it creeps into your psyche. Most people experience a loss of confidence, a, a loss of personal identity in, in most cases. Oh, I see that. That is very interesting. Now, on, based on your experience, uh, I was going to ask you if there was going to be a, if there is a common denominator that leads to the state, but usually, if, from what it sounds like, most of this burnout comes from work itself, right? That's usually the main source. Is there a possibility that burning out could also come from other factors, such as let's say an unhealthy relationship or like a negative mindset or you know any other factors like that? Yeah, I think that. It, it comes, it can come from a lot of aspects of your life. You know, we spend, if you work in the traditional sense, you're spending, you know, the majority of your waking hours at work. So it's inevitable that it's going to creep into work, whether it starts there or not. But yes, it can definitely, I mean, we all need a healthy, positive support system, right? In our personal relationships, romantic relationships, our home life has to be supportive and it has to support our values and our goals and what we're doing at work. So very definitely it can, it can start in other areas of your life and then just, you know, creep over, extend over. It can also be caused from a work environment, maybe not your, your work or your specific productivity, but the culture, the work culture. And that's what they're finding more and more with research is that people sort of point the finger and blame, you know, the person that's experiencing it. And it's really so often such a combination of factors that it's, you can't really point, you can't point the finger. And even if it does come from that individual, it's not their fault, right? They've taken on more than they're able to handle for whatever reason. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm helping people get out of that state, but mo there, there is a sort of a commonality in terms of feeling. People come to me and they say, I just have no sense of autonomy. I don't feel in control of my life. It's like this snowball or this, you know, things are spinning out of control and I can't get a grip. And uh, oftentimes they lose sense for whatever reason of what the expectations are at work. So they're they're striving and striving and striving, and it's like you can never get there. You can never catch up, or you can never grasp it. So, and then if if the work environment, if the you know workplace dynamic is not supportive, obviously that that hurts too. But I think that people use the term work life balance, and I don't really believe in you know in the word balance because I don't think when you're when you are trying to 
have healthy relationships and trying to excel in your work, there's never really a balance. You know, there's, the scales are always tipped. So it's finding, and, and what works for one person doesn't work for another. So it's finding that sense of work-life integration or harmony that works for you, you know, oh. and not, not necessarily the traditional definition. Oh, yes. I definitely agree with that, too. And actually, in fact, now that you mentioned burning out, like, or even around this burnout topic, I have been through burning out. To, for me personally, I find that it's kind of like you said, it's a snowball effect. Initially, I don't realize I'm burning out until all of a sudden I just lash out or I just, it's just this huge emotion that hits me, right? With this, are there any early indicators for someone to know that they're starting to burn out? Because I feel like this... I'll, even myself, I lack the self-awareness of me knowing that I'm starting to burn out until it actually happened, right? Right. And I, and I think we all do because, you know, we know that to accomplish what we want to accomplish, you know, we have to throw ourselves into it. And it's, of course, it's going to require energy. And of course, at times you're going to be tired or feel exhausted. Um, but then there's that, I refer to it as that tipping point which, um, you know, you get, you get to the point where really you need to slow down for whatever reason and you don't feel you can. And that's where people start to feel that sense of, you know, loss of control. But I think that as far as knowing it, you know, it's, it starts with stress, which then snowballs into chronic stress, where, it's, where chronic stress is like seeping out into multiple areas of your life. And which like I said before, in terms of never being able to catch up at work, you can you feel like oftentimes that you can never catch up with sleep. You can never catch up with rest or relaxation. And you're you're trying to do so much and but you're you feel like you're doing everything halfway, right? Nothing's getting done in the way that you would really like for it to, or that you feel the expectation is. So when you feel that sense of, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is impossible people are expecting too much that, you know, the, the demands are too great. Then I think that hopefully you say to yourself, it, th I think that's the biggest issue though, is people are so hard on themselves, like high achievers and people who've accomplished a lot and who have big goals. They're so hard on themselves. You know, they don't, it's a sign of weakness to, to take time off, or it's a sign of weakness to say I need rest or whatever. So, and people just keep striving. That's our culture. So I think that's, part of the problem. So I have another question now that you said that, you know, obviously high achievers are really hard on themselves around the self-development community. There's a saying where it goes, if you love what you do, it won't be a job. So do you find that this saying conflicts with burning out? Cause you know, no matter what you're doing, if you love it, they say that it doesn't feel like a job. My interpretation of this is if you love what you do and you put your hours onto it, you don't feel like working. So if you love what you do, is there a possibility that you could also burn out from that too? I would answer that yes, because I think that when you put too much pressure or you allow others to put too much pressure, place too, you know, unrealistic demands on your time or your productivity level or whatever the case, you know, that's when people begin to think, well, this is not what I thought it was, you know. And I think that also the whole term self-care, which I know is such a buzzword, and people don't really give it, 
I think most people don't give it the credit it's due oftentimes, because again, we feel like we should be able, you know, we should be able to power through and that's just not the case. So one of the things that I help people with, because it was so important to me in my own experience is the whole concept of self-compassion. And I don't think that most of us have enough of it. And it means something different than I think most people would think that it means, you know, it's not just patting yourself on the back or congratulating yourself or, or recognizing your successes. It's acknowledging that you're human. You know, so many people beat up on themselves. And I think that it, you know, that's an important component of the whole self-awareness is, am I being compassionate with myself? Because you, the irony is you can't be compassionate with other people in the same way. You know, that's one of the things that people experiencing burnout become very cynical. Yeah, I've worked with female physicians. I've worked in the people in medical and, you know, people in the medical field, obviously empathy is a huge component of their care. When you go through burnout, you don't, you don't have that anymore. You just become very cynical, disillusioned, whether it be with the patients or your colleagues or whatever, it, it ultimately becomes everybody. That, you know, that's the dangerous thing. You show, you show up very differently as a professional when that, when that happens. Let's say if someone is starting to experience burnout or they have just, they are in that phase, are there any recommendations on even on dealing with it or even helping to prevent burning out? I do work with people and, and companies with the prevention piece because it is so, and the, and the fortunate thing is more and more organizations and companies, well, academics, nonprofits, everybody is becoming more aware of it because it trickles down through the whole organization, right? It's not just the person that experiences it. And so they're becoming more cognizant of the whole idea of well-being and being mindful of your, of your own well-being and, and those you work with or those that are under you. As far as prevention, I think that, you know, ensuring that you have really it's going back in so many cases to what are your personal values. One of the things that starts to happen at the beginning of the whole phenomenon is you feel out of alignment with your life or usually your work in some capacity. And so really going back, but you feel pressure, right? To fill in that role, do what's expected. This is the phenomenal thing to me. We have more power to change our own you know, situation, our own environment, oh, yeah. our own circumstance, then we, then we realize. And so figuring out what's important to you, because we don't really ask, or none of us ask ourselves, you know, what's important to me today, or what's, what are my values? And is my life in alignment with my values? And I mean, it sounds like this sort of esoteric idea, but it has really concrete manifestations in your life if things aren't in alignment. So it's it's going back to that. It's going back to tolerations. What are you tolerating in your life that is driving you nuts or small irritations, you know, in your environment? So all those kinds of things, just becoming aware of them is the first step. And then, and what are your needs? You know, what are your, what are your work needs? What are your personal needs? Are they getting met? And, and how, what needs to change so that they do? And, and once people become aware and they realize they have more power to change than they thought, those changes are really transformative for them because they do realize they have the power. They can align their work and their life in a way they didn't realize. Ah, I see. From what it sounds like then, 
first off, awareness. That's the most important part. And then second is to go and obtain what you need or not even mm-hmm. like, and realizing what you need itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I have this, you know, system that yes, in the first step is definitely awareness. And the next piece has to do with acceptance of stop fighting what's going on. If, if it's rubbing you the wrong way, you have to be aware of that. And then you have to accept, okay, I can't do my best, you know, with this set of circumstances. And so you need to accept what's going on because it's, it's hard to accept that you're going through burnout for a lot of us and then accepting, okay, what do I need? What am I tolerating? What's out of alignment for me? And, and that's, you know, it's, it's no small thing for, for a lot of us because we get in these habits with life, with work relationships, our home life, family and it's hard to it's hard to pull yourself out of that a lot of times now you were mentioning like you have this system from the system is this system called the resilient leadership program it is getting back to the identity piece and the sort of cynicism and disillusionment that goes along with this whole phenomenon is the whole concept for most people i work with of imposter syndrome and and, and, you know, most of us don't wake up and say, I've got imposter syndrome going, you know, my problem is in the imposter syndrome, but we end up feeling like we can't keep up. We aren't as competent as we're supposed to be, or people think we are. So then there's this sense of, I'm not living up to expectations. I'm not really as good as they, as I should be, or they think I am. And, you know, that continues and continues and it takes a real, it chips away at your uh, self-confidence and your whole sense of self. Well, then who am I, you know, and how long do I have to keep this act up? And I mean, so it's, it's, it's really tough. And I think getting back to self-compassion, getting back to your values, really stepping into who you are and, and believing in yourself again, you know, it's about believing in yourself unconditionally. And if something's not working for you, it's not because you're not good enough. You know, it's not because you're not as competent as they, as they think you are. It's because, you know, you're, something's out of alignment and something, something's got to give. Now, you mentioned like a lot of us, a lot of people, they don't believe in themselves or they don't feel like they have the power to change their own situation. Obviously, is this built from expectations? Like, like their expectations of how they're supposed to live? Is this something that, like, do they feel this way? Because it feels like they're they're benchmarking them, their own situation with a certain level that, like, you know, maybe society is told that you have to be obtain at, right? So what do you think is that benchmark level that makes people feel that they have to compare themselves and not have this awareness that's the self-awareness that they they alone are good enough. They, that's all they need to believe in themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it can come from a lot of different places. Uh, you know, typically, oftentimes, you know, your parents, the family culture you grew up in, what your siblings did or are doing, what your parents did or are doing, you know, and you're expected to go into the same field or get a graduate degree or, um, you know, people in our family always do X. And so that can certainly be it. Some people break away from that. And, and some people feel like they're on their own path when 
you know, really subconsciously, they're fulfilling somebody else's dream or somebody else's, you know, I talk, we talk, I talk a lot with clients about, about what's your definition of success. And for a lot of people, they haven't really, you know, thought about what is my definition of success? What's my definition? You know, not my family's not the culture I grew up in or the society I grew up in or part of the world you grew up in because all those, all those are factors that play a role in, you know, our psyche and how we see ourselves. Yeah, I think when you can you can define what your success is, you know, maybe maybe you don't need to live in a certain size house or take vacations in a certain place or drive a certain car, send your kids to a certain school or whatever, all those things that, you know, the sort of societal benchmarks of so oftentimes goes hand in hand with, you know, a high income. Oh. Um, and, you know, maybe you make that income and you don't spend your money that way. You know, maybe your value system is to do something different. And for whatever reason, that's challenging for a lot of us. Uh, so I help people who've been through burnout to get out of the field they're in and do something that is more in alignment. Because sometimes people get to the point where they realize, I really can't stay in the environment, you know, that I'm in. and. Oh, yeah and feel good and feel, you know, find real happiness or have that definition of success that, you know, as I define it, my version of it. So um, sometimes it's staying in the same field, but working in a different capacity. Sometimes it's staying right where they are and just making necessary changes. But that whole sense of what do I believe success looks like for me is very, very top of mind. What is your definition of success? Yeah, so my definition of success, and I think that's one of the reasons that coaching was, you know, my nonprofit work sort of falls in line, not as much as my business does, but both give me freedom, which is a huge value of mine. Coaching gives me self-expression in terms of, I, I love to write courses and curriculum. I love to write in general blogs. And so I think, you know, freedom, self-expression, authenticity. It's what I really like to do. I love working with, with people around confidence and communication and resilience, you know, people who've, in, who've dealt with setbacks and helping them to pull themselves out of that. All those things are very important to me. So I, I think, you know, coaching, well, having my own business does that in and of itself. I'm able to shape and mold it and have, I've got three boys and it's important to me as a parent to be able to be there for them when they need it or when I want to be. And so for me, it's all about the freedom to work with who I want to work with, when I want to work with them and how I want to work with them. I love that. Let's talk about this Resilient Leadership Program. Can you explain to us how you came up with this process, like this program to help to help your clients or help people in general? Yeah, you know, it's it just sort of, it rose, I guess, organically out of working with people, working with clients, and also my own personal experience in going through burnout. I had a very strong case of imposter syndrome myself, physical exhaustion, mental and emotional exhaustion, becoming very cynical, feeling almost numb about, you know, what I was doing and day to day. It, it's my personal experience coupled with the women I've worked with. I think just realizing what works, what do we most need, what's really effective. I, I approach it from a holistic viewpoint because different people come, as I said, with different 
a different set of circumstances and they have different goals. So looking at the mental and emotional, spiritual, and obviously the physical, it's all really relevant because different people have different needs or struggles in different areas. But bringing all of those together so that, again, that sense of harmony and, and integration of life, in my mind, is what really creates sustainable change and is the real empowering piece for people. So yeah, I think it's just been finding for those people that are more spiritually aligned or more spiritually oriented or feel that void, you know, what is it in? Is it mindfulness? Is it meditation? Is it journaling? Those kinds of things. Obviously, the physical component is most often rest and becoming aware of what's going on in your body and listening to your body. You know, what, is it, what do I need right now? And then the other pieces are really dealing with the imposter syndrome and quieting our inner critics. Most of us walk around with very, a very loud critical voice playing in our head and it's been there so long and it <laughs> plays so loudly that we don't even know that's what it, you know, we think, we think that critical voice is who we are. So separating, you know, separating yourself from your own thoughts is really the first step in dealing with the mental emotional piece. I think just the process of finding out what works for people, what they need and what works is really how, how the program all came together. And I love that because I personally feel that a lot of programs in general, they, it's like very cookie cutter based. There are a lot of fixed steps, but with your approach, like everybody's different and you first off, like you acknowledge that right off the bat and there's no like one, one trick or one set formula, you know, your equation, like your answer, right? Well, it can't be because what works for one person doesn't work for another. And yeah. that's what drew me to coaching in the first place. So yeah, that's a very important piece to me. I personally am a big believer in meditation and journaling. For me, I use meditation to help, I guess in a sense, to help calm my mind and my spirituality and journaling I use to let out my emotions. So with journaling itself then, do you recommend this as a, a tool for everybody or for people in your program to just be self-aware and just to note down all your emotions, just to let it out instead of having it bottled in? Definitely. I mean, I am a huge, huge proponent of journaling myself. And for people that haven't journaled before, you know, there are people that are resistant to it because they just don't really see how the, you know, the connection between writing something down and having, you know, an impact on, on your mindset or, or the way you live your day, the way your day plays out. Um, so I oftentimes bring research into it because there has been a lot of research showing, and it's, it's not typing, it's actually, you know, hand to pen to paper, but it really takes a load off. Like it can just, obviously it doesn't zap the issue away, but it can it can really really reduce stress in amazing and unexpected ways so i'm a huge proponent and i i try and to whatever extent someone is open to it and even if it's just writing down you know three things that three successes in your life that day or three things you're grateful for i you know that's a great starting place and it takes no time i i really believe in it as a tool we're about to wrap things up here and scuff three more questions for you. So first off, the fr are there any good reads that you to help promote maybe confidence, communication, resilience, or even the prevention of burning out or even self-awareness that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, you know, one of the resources that I 
that was most impactful for me, and I've actually found it to be most impactful with nearly everybody that I've worked with, is a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. She talks about this whole concept of growth mindset, having adapting a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And I really believe that's the first step toward empowerment and change. You know, it's, it's all about my, everything you read, it's about mindset, but you've really got to have the concrete tools to become aware and to, and to change it. And for me, I think her work has really been fundamental to that because it causes you to sit and reflect on, okay, this event just happened in my life. How do I translate that? You know, and is that really true? And what if I were to look at it this way? She goes through step by step in her book, but that's, I, I love her work and I, would, I recommend that to a lot of people. I love that recommendation. Thank you for that suggestion. Second question I have is, what does being first generation mean to you? Yeah, so I really resonate with your, the whole idea of carving your own path, carving a new path, carving your own path. And that doesn't necessarily mean moving out of the country or getting out of your job. It's, you know, it's, it's again, it's what that means to you. And I think that that path is formed, again, by awareness and figuring out what's going to make me feel in alignment with my work, what's going to bring me joy, what's going to bring me that sense of flow. I think, I think having that sense of flow, whether it's at your day-to-day job or whether it's a, an interest, a hobby, a work in the community, whatever. I think everybody, I believe strongly everybody has to have a component of their life where they just, you know, they feel in flow in the sense that you lose yourself because you love doing what you, you know, you love doing what you're doing so much that you sort of lose track of time. You really just, it brings a huge sense of fulfillment. So, you know, I think that that's what's important. And if it's, if it's not what is expected of you, by your family or from home or whatever the case, coming to terms with that. And I think that for most people, when they have that experience of feeling in flow and feeling in alignment, it takes the burden off. You know, you, you just feel like you deal with the resistance and if you're having it in other parts of your life, you, you deal with it in a different way because you know how important this is not just for what you do every day, but your whole sense of well-being. So for me, that sense of being in flow is something I really stress. And I think that's fundamental to carving a new path or carving your path. Ah, yes. And last question I have for you. So where can we find you on social media? Or if our listeners want to learn more about you and your program, where can we find you? So the name of my coaching business is Live Your Brilliance, and it's um, www.liveyourbrilliance.com. And do you have any Facebook pages or any, do you utilize Instagram as well? I, yes. Yep. It's all uh, Live Your Brilliance. Live Your Brilliance. Awesome. Thanks again, Elizabeth, for joining our show. And like, I loved your insight, especially with burnout. It's been great to be with you. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube at First Generations Podcast. For any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at firstgenerationspodcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.